punches away from McCulloch. Thurston gets the ball to Morgan. Morgan crosses the 20. Comes away to O'Neill. Gets the about Rugby League. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. Round 7 is done and dusted, so Kieran Gibson will be here to help me talk about the latest news and look ahead to Round 8, but not before we indulgently talk about our favourite Rugby League memories. Kieran, I've got bad news tonight. Uh, Miles, who's unfortunately trapped in this place called Sydney, has no internet today, uh, proving once and for all that Brisbane is simply the better city. Um, how, how are you enjoying your internet? Uh, it's great. It's um, Usually, I think Brisbane internet is pretty shit, but clearly it's not as bad as uh, the city that Gus claims is the best city in the world. Um, so, yeah, sitting pretty sitting pretty indeed uh let's start off this round eight analysis by uh talking about round seven and how our tips went uh, i got six out of eight which uh in bow terms is like basically a perfect round um and so did miles who cannot join us tonight of course he got six out of eight as well uh we both did terribly with our bold predictions he uh he tipped Luke Brooks from the Tigers to score a try, have two try assists in another, in another close Tigers loss. Well, they, <laughs> they lost by 34 points. Um, and mine went just about as bad because I expected some big bounce back from the Raiders and I expected them to beat the Cowboys by 30 plus. And that was looking really good until about the 38th minute when George <laughs> Williams dropped the kickoff. And then it was uh, all downhill from there for that prediction, which I'm secretly quite happy about that the Cowboys got up there. But uh, both got six out of eight, both way off on our predictions. Kieran, you were a bit, uh, came a bit further off the back fence for the kickoff with seven out of eight. And your bowl prediction yeah. may have been closer. Uh, Ponga ran for the uh, plus 170 meters, which I said he would. Um, I can't remember how many he ran for, but he got over. But he didn't assist a try or score one. But I checked NRL stats to make sure. Um, Kurt Mann wasn't even gifted a, a try assist for when he set up Stafford Toa. And I swear he threw the last pass. So I thought that was a bit strange. Yeah, it seems a bit odd, although I suppose Toa gets a lot of credit for just uh, manhandling. Was it Dylan Edwards? Yeah. Pretty yeah. much with the big fan. That was that was glorious to see. We'll give you the, the win this week for having the extra tip. So congratulations, Kieran. Uh, I'm sure I speak on behalf of Miles when I say... Uh, that I never want to see that again. Now, let's talk about what we learned from round seven. Uh, I learned that Tom Travojevic might be the most pivotal player to his team's success in the competition. You spoke about it last week, Kieran, that their percentage, mm. their win percentage goes from 72 to 42 when they are without him. Look, I, I previously thought that the most important player to their team was Jason Taumalolo. But the Cowboys have claimed some scalps without him in recent weeks, uh, and Travojevic just unlocks his team like very few do. So he might be the most important player to his team in the competition. What did you learn from Round 7? I've kind of hinted at this uh, in previous weeks, but I learned that a few teams tipped to finish in the bottom eight may still have a season. Um, I still have the Knights and Raiders finishing top eight, 
Uh, although I think that's on uh, shaky ground a little bit more so now. And uh, I've got three teams that could push them all the way, meaning six teams vying for three spots. I think the Titans, Seagulls, and Warriors could all um, push for the top eight, and it, uh, they won't all fit. Actually, that's five teams vying for three spots, but nonetheless, it's uh, they're not all going to fit in. Perhaps it was a, a, a Cowboys fan Freudian slip there, uh, hoping for <laughs> <laughs> hoping for the Cowboys to sneak in and be that sixth team. Uh, let's talk about our wildcard awards for round seven. Uh, Miles did not send one through to us, but do you have a wildcard award? I do. It's a, a little bit of a, a painful one, but I've got the, the Arsenal Capitulation and Abomination Award, which goes to the Brisbane Broncos after they let another star youngster go in Tom Dearden. Fresh off last season when they sold for Fida and uh, I think Jaden Sewer the year prior, um, as well as poor acquisitions in Brody Croft and most recently Danny Levi, the Broncos are a side going forwards no time soon in my eyes. Um, it reminds me of my beloved Arsenal, who have become known over the last decade for selling their best players and signing absolutely shocking ones. Yeah, the Broncos are in desperate need of an Adam Reynolds type or a Mitchell Moses or a Kalen Ponga, which has been uh, touted in the media by certain oh, wow. sources. Uh, that would that would be quite interesting who they would choose out of Jermaine Asako and uh, Kalen Ponga, said nobody <laughs> ever. Um, my my wildcard award is a bit of a different one. It is the, the Bo, Miles and Kieran Award for choosing to go above the horizontal, which of course goes to Haumole... Ola Kao Atu, who during a try celebration for the Seagulls gloriously lifted his hulking frame over oh. the excited huddle of Seagulls <laughs> teammates to find himself in a dangerous position, spearing towards the earth headfirst. He's lucky He's lucky to escape with just a warning and not a month on the sidelines for dangerous play. <laughs> but I must admit, we here at this podcast respect anyone who will willingly go above the horizontal it's a little bit of a little bit of a plug there but congratulations to uh to the very fine seagulls second rower who i believe had a try assist for uh mr tom travoyevich uh, at some point in the first half there as the seagulls started to run away with that one let's jump into some news uh you made mention of of tom dearden uh leaving the broncos stable uh the cowboys have actually in the last week or so signed a couple of halves they've they've gone with tom dearden on what i read was a reported $1.1 million across three seasons, which is less than 400 k a year for a fairly promising young half. I think that's, I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, but they've signed Chad Townsend on what is reported mm. at 800 k a season or $2.4 <laughs> across those same three seasons. Uh, you're a Cowboys fan, so am I. Uh, Miles isn't here to balance us out this time. He he has often said that we will we will threaten to go and start our own Cowboys podcast. Well, here it is, Miles. <laughs> here it is, uh, Kieran. As a Cowboys fan, are, are you thinking that this is good business by the the men of the North? Initially, my immediate thought was absolutely no, um, and I'm still tentative on it, but. I think the Townsend deal should have been for two years, not three. Um, just because we have Drinkwater, we have now Dearden, and we have Holmes. Um, if Dearden, or sorry, Drinkwater was to switch to fullback, uh, I don't think Holmes is going to be happy on the wing for the next six years. Although, 
I don't know if Holmes would break his contract, but I, I don't want to risk any anyone of Holmes or Drinkwater breaking their contract. And then I would like to keep Dearden as well um, after his contract is over in three years, which is why I said the, the Townsend two-year contract would have made a bit more sense. I don't know if Dearden, Holmes, and uh, Drinkwater are going to be able to wait it out while Townsend is playing for the next three years. And I don't know if Townsend is going to be able to sustain the form he is. Um, he'll be 34 by the time his his contract runs out, 31 by the time he starts with us. Uh, I do li- I say that I like Townsend because he'll be able to show um, Dearden and Drinkwater a bit more how to steady the ship um, and give us a bit more direction, which we haven't had in previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like Townsend in that sense. Um, but uh, Drinkwater and Dearden seems like a perfect combination for me, and then Holmes is finding form at fullback. Um, I, I, I don't know... I'm really worried that we're going to lose one, and I, I think we really will. And Dearden, Drinkwater, and Holmes are, are quite young. Um, whilst Townsend, he's, he's, as I said, getting older. And, uh, yeah, I, I would like to see Dearden off the bench next year, though, even if I have liked Granville's rotation this season. And Holmes and Drinkwater deserve to keep their spots going by current form. All in all, I think it seems like good good business. But, yeah, as I said, I, I worry about how four players go into three key positions in the long term. I guess I'm worried about the the cost of Townsend. I think they've done a pretty good deal on Dearden there. Mm. It sounds like the Broncos may have shot themselves in the foot there, or maybe they know something that the Cowboys don't. Um, when when it was initially two million dollars for three seasons for Townsend, I wasn't that bothered by it. When it blows out to eight hundred k, you're starting to get into Cameron Munster, Jack White, and money, uh, mm. which is which is just not an accurate reflection of what he does. Yes, the Cowboys are a club, and Miles sent through some notes where he mentions that the Cowboys are in a position where they will need to pay overs for first-grade players uh, to get to get the right players up there, and Chad Townsend's obviously an example of that. Uh, so I do agree with him on that. I don't think it's the right price tag, and, and I agree with you that I don't think it's the right amount of time what I do agree with you about also is that Tom Dearden seems like the obvious choice for 14 there. What that means for Jay Granville uh, means that his days might be numbered. Um, and that's okay, I think. I, I think he's had a good career. Um, yeah. He won a premiership and things like that. But unless he becomes, of course, one of those players that keeps playing well forever, even when they turn 35, which is actually <laughs> what we're going to talk about next. Uh, a little cheeky segue there for you. You raised the question, uh, I suppose this was after the way Benji Marshall just completely tore it up Um on the weekend at the age of 36, the oldest player in the mm. competition at the moment, now that Cameron Smith and Paul Gallen have retired. Uh, basically, it got us thinking, didn't it, Kieran? It was, who is your favourite player? And they don't necessarily yeah. have to be the same age as Benji, but when they come towards the end of their career, have managed to just continue that incredible form uh, right up to the end. Who, who comes to mind for you? Uh, well, look, I, I really struggled with this one at first. And then the player that I remembered, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, what did you do to deserve me forgetting about you? Um, I've gone for a player that is a fair shout for best utility to play the game, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's certainly right up there. He is the, the 2016 Clive Churchill medalist in Luke Lewis. Um, ah. Yeah. Um, so often in sport, I say to myself, it'll be such a shame when a player is past their prime because they're such a joy to watch at their best, I don't want to see a lesser version. Well, I never really witnessed a poor season from Luke Lewis. Um, he just seemingly got better with age. 
Yeah, and also changing positions. I mean, let's not forget that in 2003, when he won a comp with the Panthers, he was either the center or a winger in that yeah. game. I, I can't remember, but he was certainly in the back line, and he played for Australia in the back line uh, and New South Wales, I believe, before moving into the back row and becoming... Yeah, as you say, a, a Clyde Churchill medalist in his in his last game ran a beautiful line too um, on that yeah. right edge. <laughs> now, tremendous yeah. call. Uh, I've got a very similar player actually. I, I thought of a couple of different ones. You know, there's the obvious ones like Cameron Smith and guys like that. Uh, one guy that I used to love watching um, was Stephen Menzies, who was 34. Mm when he won a premiership with Manly in 2008 before going to England and France to finish his career at the age of 39. If you like, you know, sometimes we forget how, uh, how old that is. Like I'm 33 and I feel like my bones are breaking just sitting here in a chair, you know, um, he was, he was playing top line football. He played over 500 games of top line football, including like representing New South Wales and Australia and scoring over 250 tries. That's about a strike rate of a try every two games as a back rower uh, much like Lewis uh, ran a beautiful line great support player uh, tackled hard uh, ran a beautiful line and he he was a special talent so Steve Menzies was my favourite and it was a really nice moment when they were smashing up the storm in that grand final 40 nil, as it were <laughs> that he scored very late in the game uh, I think an inside pass from winger Michael Robertson, if memory serves, yeah, and yeah. and just just a magic moment for me uh, as a as a player that as a, as a person that loved watching Steve Menzies play, and as a long term fan, and I suppose that brings us to the next point. If I can just continue trying to segue everything, we'll see how I go with the rest of these <laughs> items. You you sort of brought this up, so I wonder if this is something that that you can speak to a little bit that you feel like maybe yeah. Um, the, the game is sort of losing some special memories that it used to have with less engagement between fans and teams. And obviously, we are aware of the fact that, you know, we're in COVID and things like that. So literal interaction between players and, and fans is difficult at the moment. But yeah, you, you brought up the question. So what would you like to see in terms of rugby league and, and clubs getting fans more involved? I realized a lot of the things I've written down are, are very minor things, but I still I, I think the NRL doesn't quite do it as well as other sports, and they've they've canned the footy show, which had a lot of fan engagement, even if it was with ex players. Um, you had you had Bo Ryan going around cities, and I, I really thought that that kind of helped to bring the rugby league community together a, a bit more. Um, I, I do also really like how pre-COVID the AFL allowed fans onto the field after games um, even if it's not to mix with players the fans are engaging with each other and their experience is enhanced uh, I also I did I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod but I, I did high school in Dubai um, and European soccer teams would regularly play exhibition games there um, in the preseason to give back to fans and so I got to meet the lights of David Beckham and Ronaldinho um, when they were here for AC playing or in Dubai sorry playing for AC Milan uh, and that was such a special experience. I'll, I'll never forget it. They're, they're two of the game's greatest. Um, and I can't really recall too many opportunities other than times when uh, players have had um, made their own or had their own book written um, and they've had a book signing that I've, I've been able to really meet the big players. I know they do it for State of Origin. That's a bit better. But for regular club rounds, I don't feel like there's enough engagement between the fan and the team. Um, yeah, I... 
I, my memory is a blank at the moment, but I can't even remember if the NRL has halftime entertainment. Just small things like that. I'd like to see the the game kind of. Um, not to say that I have a, a small attention span and I need to constantly be entertained, but I wouldn't mind if they had a, a bit more excitement in the game for small things like that. Um, I just think that the whole fan engagement um, can be enhanced and the experience would be better off for it. Someone like Jonathan Thurston was a real leader in that way um, when it came to you know just giving up his headgear at the end of a yeah. game. And, and, yeah. and that was a tradition that sort of started and a few players have taken that on. And like... You know, it would have been amazing for you meeting David Beckham and Ronaldinho, you know, two mm, of the great was, yeah. free kick takers of, of our era. Um, yeah. And, you know, like, I'm sure, you know, if I was given the opportunity, I would have loved to have shaken hands with, say, Shane Tronk, one of the greats of our game. But <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> those opportunities don't come around very often. Miles sent through on his notes that he thought that it would be really important that teams really really um build kind of like a oh, i'm going to put words in his mouth a little bit here but kind of like a sister city arrangement where um say the north queensland mm. cowboys were affiliated with mount isa and then once a season they make the effort to take one of their home games out to mount isa play out there spend a few days out there, you know, like actually go and visit some schools and, and, and engage mm. with the community. And, and suddenly, you know, you've got fans for life potentially, you know, you have, you know, if this, if this happened 10 years ago, you've got kids mingling with guys like, you know, like immortal cowboys, like Matt Bowen, Jonathan <laughs> Thurston, Matt Scott, Shane Tronk, you know, so it would be, and, you know, Brisbane could do it with, Toowoomba or they could do it with Longreach or whatever you know the Rabbitohs could do it with Perth as they have been in recent years um, or maybe even a smaller country town Miles made sure to say though that he would like say in the case of like say the West Tigers when they play a lot of their home games from Bank West and some of their games from Campbelltown or Leichhardt he would hate to see a Leichhardt or a Campbelltown game taken out Bush he'd want that game to be a Bank West game taking out Bush, just to just to make sure that you're not mm. losing that suburban feel as well. Uh, one thing that I observe is that it, in today's day and age, I mean, as I, as I mentioned, COVID makes it difficult, but we'll hopefully get our way out of that in the next 10 years if the federal government can work this shit out. But <laughs> social media has been another influencer here where it's made it easier to engage with fans as a club, but in a very lazy way. It feels very hollow, and every club has this like preset, like kind of like uh, template, I suppose, where at halftime they send out the same looking photo, being like, "Oh, the boys are behind by twelve so far, so let's hope they go well in the second half." And then at full time, it's like tough one for the boys, lost by sixty, you know. Um, well, and you have the fans turning on each other. Yeah, then it's, after the result. It's, it's really it's really kind of feral out there and it's too easy and for a club to do that all they need is you know some guy or girl running Twitter some some person taking photos a few people doing a media type you know a couple of minute video throughout the week that's all they really do um, it's, it's pretty uninspired stuff and it, it lacks a lot of insight so I'm not a big fan of the way that teams are currently using social media 
I'd love to see way more interaction or maybe run by fans. Like, I feel like given the opportunity with a club, like, you know, people like us could really, um, you know, create a different product or just something a bit different because at the moment, every club's doing the same thing. It's just ticking boxes. It's by the numbers. Yes, there is lots of engagement, but it's all very, very surface level, very lazy, quite boring, uninspired um so i guess there's a few ideas there really isn't there um you know yeah let's get some kids back out on on the field at full time and kicking footballs around because that's fun and you know the footy show wasn't great by the end of it but let's find (laughs) something else you know because kids don't want to watch paul kent and buzz rothfield on nrl 360 and they've got nothing else (laughs) there's nothing else to watch (laughs) And, and I think Miles is right. Let's get things back out to uh, rural towns particularly because uh, that's that's how you make fans for life. And if you can get kids shaking hands with their Ronaldinho's or the Beckham's of our game, um, yeah, you've got a fan for life, haven't you? And you wouldn't think you'd find them in Dubai, but they absolutely exist. Yeah. 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 Um, and even, yeah, I just got to go back on the, the Bo Ryan point, like that's that was a time where I was living in Dubai and I was trying to keep up with league um, and trying to keep up with every game. But I, my interest in league was waning a little just because I was so far away and the, the time difference was a bit different. And, and that kind of brought me right back into it. The the confidence and charisma that, that Bo Ryan had in the early days of Bo Knows. I, I absolutely loved it. I can remember one night myself and my brother Owen, um, yeah, we, we were in Turkey and I found his show on YouTube and, and we must have watched it for about two, three hours until about 1 a.m. one night. Um, and that really just, just made me fall in love with the game again. So as you said, if we can have shows a bit different to NRL 360, I think that would be really good. Let's talk about a potential brain fart that the Tigers board could be about to engage in, depending on your opinion, <laughs> is that there has been some word going around that Michael Maguire doesn't quote have the full support of the board but it's it was something like unqualified support i think was the technical phrasing that they that the exact phrasing that they use so that's a bit of a worry if you ask me um look the long story short is it sounds like the tigers are are fed up with mcguire he may have lost the dressing room i'm gonna put you let's do a bit of cosplay here you've got your orange and black uh suit on because you're a board member for the Tigers, Kieran. Uh, Mr. Gibson, is Michael Maguire in the firing line? And if he is, why? And if he is not, why not? Um, no, no, he is not. Uh, as a, a board member of the Tigers, I have to say much respect to the, the Bellamy's, the Bennett's and the Robinson's of the league for their ability to, to keep a club um as a, a world beater consistently, uh, season on season, and turn them, if they were a poor club before that, uh, into a world beater sooner rather than later. But some projects take time. Uh, Madge has got rid some of, of rid of some of the dead wood from the roster, such as Josh Reynolds, and I think Russell Packer's days are done if he's not already gone. Um, I, I actually don't mind. I, I wouldn't mind sending out a, a warning call to Madge. Uh, results certainly need to, to turn around kind of within the next season or two for mine um, probably even the next season I think uh, I don't want to be too high on the Titans but they've improved markedly under Holbrook um, and it's a similar progression I would have actually expected Tigers fans to have seen by now under Madge um, it's, it's a really tough one I, I, 
I do sit on the side of he needs to be given more time, and I, I like what he did with the bunnies. That's probably helping him a little bit with, with how much time he's getting. Mm. Uh, if he can kind of learn maybe some of the lessons that Paul Green learned, where Paul Green was a bit too too hard, I think maybe Bellamy is the only guy that really knows how to, to go off his head every game and still get the results. But maybe if he's a bit more compassionate, um, he'd get a bit more out of the players. I, I don't know. Um, I hear Barrett, for example, Trent, Trent Barrett say a lot that he needs to, to kind of be hard on the, the, the Bulldogs players, but also kind of not not to the point where they just lose all self-belief. I don't know if, if Madge has done that at the Tigers or not. Um, but I, I would definitely keep give him a little bit more time. As I said, um, he's gotten rid of some dead wood. He's got a bit more uh, money now to spend, and uh, I'd like to see what he does with it. Um, but I can understand if, if Tigers fans are angry and they kind of want to see someone else um, at the helm and see what they can do with it, with that money. We asked Mr. Stedman, who was also a board member. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't make the Zoom chat, but he he has said that quote if he's lost the locker room you've basically got no choice and the team's performance on the weekend as well as luke brooks's post-game interview would certainly suggest that but for as much Mm -hmm. as fans often want their head coach fired it always bears remembering you have to hire a better replacement or the exercise is worthless so it looks like mr Mm -hmm. stedman as a board member is on the lookout for a better replacement. I'm not sure where he will find one. And I guess that's the point that he's making, but he does say that if he's lost the team, then there's not much point in his continuing. It's it's basically untenable. I fall on the side of, I'm also a board member, by the way. I don't sack Michael McGuire at this stage. Um, and I would actually personally be part of taking responsibility for the lackluster roster he has to work with. Um, by the most generous estimation, we couldn't possibly call ourselves a top eight roster. So expecting him to get top eight is is very, very harsh on Michael Maguire. And, and I would like to think that we could give him a bit more time now that, as you said, he has a bit more money to play with. Um, he has that, he has a, he's a premiership winning coach. You know, he did some good things with the Rabbitohs. So hopefully we can give him some more time and he can build with our recruitment team a really strong roster of good first graders around a couple of star players and we can get ourselves in the top eight being really competitive and that is going to be our way forward i don't want to be chopping and changing for the sake of chopping and changing i want a little bit of stability uh in there and i want to see somebody's vision followed through uh so that's where i would go Uh, But that was fun. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about the fact that the Raiders have lost four of their last five games, uh, including a a fairly sizable loss to the Eels a couple of weeks ago and a very disappointing loss to the Cowboys in Townsville where they were 18 points in front just before halftime and then lost by two points without scoring a further point. At the start of the season, we talked about the big six. The big six was the Raiders, it was the Roosters, it was the Storm, it was the Rabbitohs, it was the Eels, and it was the Panthers. So a lot of New South Wales and ACT and basically no Queensland in there. And that's just the way it should have been. That was the hot tip. They were the big six last year. It looked like they were going to be the big six this year. Kieran, I ask you, is it still a big six? 
No, not in in my eyes. Um, I don't believe they're part of the the big uh, a big six anymore, despite it being early days in the season. Uh, in saying that, I actually don't believe their premiership window is closed just yet either. Uh, but they are on shaky ground. Uh, I read an article yesterday, I think it was, saying how the Raiders' 29 premiership charge. Um, I know they, they they lost in the grand final, but on the way to get to the grand final. Um, their, their game was built, they had brilliant attack and they always have, but they, they also kept teams out and kept them to low scores. Um, that's not been a feature this season at all. Um, and that's the main reason that I haven't uh, kept them in the, in the top six. They conceded 34 points against the Warriors, most of those coming in. the se- Their second halves have been horrible this season against the Eels, the Warriors and the Cowboys. They've pretty much capitulated um where they were i think they oh no they they weren't winning against the eels but they were winning the other two games um and they would have been heavy favorites to see them out um on the coach ricky stewart he's known for dropping players to the bench for disciplinary disciplinary and effort reasons um and with how often it, it occurs it leads me to believe he may not know how to get the best out of his players on a consistent basis um i just don't know if that's like a a, a routine kind of thing that you do quite often and he does do it quite often it kind of tells me that there's something wrong in it with the culture maybe um you shouldn't really be having to do that uh that often to get to give your players a wake-up call they should already know the privilege uh position they're in to play rugby league and uh, we've said on this pod before we don't believe the raiders have that elite mentality um they lost a, a grand final two years ago despite a multitude of possession in their favor and six again debacle or not i, I believe they should have finished that game um uh, three and one to start the season, and then from there they've really capitulated. And none of those victories, uh, those three victories earlier in the season, were even that great. So, yeah, I'd be looking to move on some players. Even Rapana and Croker have looked subpar this season. Ra- or sorry, Croker is probably not one you get rid of just yet. But I, I, I don't see the value in Rapana anymore, really. And uh, even week in week out, um, Whiten hasn't been de- delivering. I think he really needs to lift his game. Yeah, Whiten's New South Wales jersey is under serious threat here. Um, but let's talk about the the top four straight away. Like I, well, actually, there's there's the answer to the question in a Freudian slip. I don't think it's a big six. I don't think it's a big five. I think it's a big four. I think mm. the Roosters can join the Raiders in the sense that I think they're both uh, not quite in the same category as the Storm, Rabbitohs. Uh, Eels and Panthers uh, from the evidence that I've seen I'm, I'm certainly not writing them off I, I do expect they'll both play finals football um, and can challenge on their day you know they have fantastic players Jack White and as you've mentioned um, but I, I yeah. just don't see them in the same league as the moment at the moment because the um the performances recently have not been good. I do agree with you. Jared Croak is well below his best. He has been affected by injury. Um, and uh, Jordan Rappina, yeah, looks well past his best. And when you have a guy as talented as Sebastian Chris just sitting right there, um, I'd be looking to give him a bit more uh, game time for sure. Let's just take a quick little break. We're going to hear from my other podcast, which is Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast, before we discuss our favorite moments of uh, of attending a, a game as a, as a spectator. What is what is our fondest memory of a rugby league game? I've got a feeling there's going to be a fair bit of Cowboys talk coming up, folks. So if you're not a Cowboys fan, maybe skip through a couple of minutes. But we'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of Seinfeld, overalls with one of the straps undone, the Chicago Bulls winning championships, 
and the Brisbane Broncos being a good team, then it's a pretty good bet you love the 90s. If you do, you should tune in to Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast, which is brought to you by the We Made This Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Bo Nicholson, and the founder of the Pioneer Australia, Daniel Lang. It's a conversation podcast where we discuss the pop culture icons of our favourite decade. Season 1 is ready to listen to right now, with Season 2 arriving soon. Search for Pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Kieran, uh, we just had the Anzac round uh, completed, and and that's often a a round that provides a lot of fond memories for people, uh, and it's a a round of of a lot of respect for people that have have given their lives to to make sure that we have the freedoms that we supposedly do in this country. Um, But taking away the Anzac round perspective of it, it, to me, it's really about... Rugby League is all about the fans, really, isn't it? Like, at the end of the day, it's a product to be delivered to fans. And you and I and Miles, of course, Miles isn't here to speak for himself. So I'm just going to assume that his favorite memory was something, something Queensland winning last year. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, hopefully, hopefully I don't get in too much trouble for that one. Um, but what I want to know from you is what is your fondest memory of a Rugby League game that you've been a spectator at? Uh, I'll do my best to not get too emotional, but um, it, to set the scene, it was uh, the North Queensland Cowboys in 2007, just coming of age and gathering momentum with a, a couple of young superstars in Jonathan Thurston and Matt Bowen. I was attending the game at Suncorp, and it was a, a tit-for-tat game, uh, and as the game neared its end, the scores were level at 16 all. the crowd huge, some 50,000 strong. The raucous Broncos cheer was going up, but the Cowboys were not done yet. As I tried to compose myself and convince myself with my innocent youth uh, that my cheer alone could spur the Cowboys on to a slender victory, I was simultaneously in agony from the thought of them losing. Enter the 73rd minute and Thurston shapes to play a wide ball to his outside men before before turning his outside shoulder in and flicking a pass for Matt Bowen to sprint onto and accelerate away through a hole. One-on-one with Carmel Michael Hunt and Darren Lockyer chasing from behind, uh, two other prodigies of the game. Bowen shapes his run right, steps left, and with that leaves Hunt grasping at thin air and runs away with the game-sealing try. It was in that moment that despite all I had heard about and experienced with Broncos fans bragging about being big brother, that I got to experience my favourite moment as a spectator at a game. The Broncos fans around me stood up and applauded the little magician's spectacular try. They even turned to me and my family and said, that's too good not to celebrate how right they were. Uh, I feel sorry for the the Broncos fans uh, because we're going to have two where we talk about Cowboys triumphs over the Broncos and in late game victories. Uh, As Kieran, as you well know, I was at the NRL Grand Final uh, in 2015 and 2017. Um, I've been to three, actually. I was in 2001, where the Knights beat the Eels after a fantastic oh, first half. Um, I was in 2017 uh, to watch our team get destroyed by the storm. I actually felt really sorry for Antonio Winterstein on that day. I thought he was pretty much the only cowboy that turned up um, as the storm mm. ran riot with that one. Um, but I was also there for 2015, and I was obviously very excited 
we had a fantastic <laughs> chance to win that game. And um, being the Cowboys versus the Broncos, a lot of the the, the neutral Sydney fans were pro cowboy. Um, like us, they just don't like the Broncos very much. So um, it was kind of nice to have most of the crowd be at the very least sympathetic to the Cowboys. And, and um, I was seated pretty high up in the grandstand. Uh, got some very cheap seats uh, through my cousin. He had a, a affiliation with Stadium Australia somehow. So we were we were there with my auntie and my uncle. Um, this was only a, a month before my uncle had a stroke, he, um, which obviously impacted on his life since then. But he he drove down and back the entire way. So it was it was me, my auntie, and him uh, making the trip down from Brisbane because it was too expensive to fly. Uh, they really gouged the fans on that one. We were there, we were up in the grandstand, and it wasn't looking good for most of the match, really. The Broncos were in front for pretty much the whole thing, and it was 16-12, and the Broncos had the ball about halfway, and Milford um, created a bit of a line break, but Kyle Felt stripped the ball, as it were, so uh, away they went. They got down to the fifth tackle, I think it was. It was it was very yeah. late, and anyone that listens to the start of our show will basically know how this goes. Thurston <laughs> uh, sort of fends away from uh, Adam Blair, um, just wanders across field, throws a long cutout pass to Michael Morgan, who beats Milford for pace, draws in Jack Reed, who's kind of in no man's land, really. Uh, Corey Oates couldn't do much. Amazing flick pass to Kyle Felt, who scores in the corner, but... Let me tell you, I did not see Kyle Felt. So all I've seen is Michael Morgan throw a flick pass to who I assumed was the touch judge. So I, oh. I, have, I have sunk in my seat, my hands uh, to my face. Um, I feel like I'm going to cry. My and I hear cheering. I hear my auntie going berserk next to me. She's dressed in the most ridiculous Cowboys thing I've ever seen in my life, like with Cowboys dreadlocks <laughs> and the whole bit. It's just ridiculous stuff. She's like a sixty-something-year-old woman, and um, God love her. And and so yes, I, I missed that magic moment. I was there. <laughs> I was there, um, but I have to relive it via the audio on our podcast, of course. Where I was sat, I'm going to go on a little bit longer. I apologize to the listeners on this one. I, I was sat there. Sounds like you're getting emotional, Kieran. Are you okay? Uh, uh, I'm okay. <laughs> I was sat in such a way that uh, we were pretty much directly behind Jonathan Thurston as he was lining up that sideline conversion oh. for about 10 minutes. So <laughs> it wasn't quite 10 minutes, but it felt like every second of it, right? And he's lining it up, mm. lining it up. And I thought he missed it. Like, straight away. I just kind of knew that he missed it, right? Like, but it curled back, curled back, as JT's kicks often did. Um, <laughs> and it hit the post, which I was surprised by, because I thought it would miss by a fair way. Um, the TV replay will have you believe that it was going to go in for sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah I, I had other thoughts. I kind of knew that was going to hit. And the, the drama was incredible around us, you know. And... Um, and that actually, I was also basically almost in line with Ben Hunt when he dropped the, the kickoff, the spiraling kickoff from Kyle Phelps. So we were down that end when they did the drop goal and JT <laughs> got the drop goal. And I've got to be honest, Kieran, I screamed so, so loud. Like at the top of my, <laughs> like I was just yelling 
and yeah. I could not hear myself because <laughs> the crowd, which, as I said, was mostly probably neutral fans on the side of the Cowboys, probably, but mostly neutral, was just so intensely loud. It was just incredible stuff. Uh, I, I, I hugged my auntie and my cousin and everyone, and then, and then I... I actually knew some people that were about five rows behind me. So I went to make my way to them because they were Cowboys fans too. And on the way there, I was getting hugged by Cowboys fans all over the place because I had a Cowboys jersey on, obviously. Um, Went and hugged my friends. Went out on the town in Sydney, which was a terrible idea on a Sunday night because nothing's open. Um, But that was one of the great moments. And my good friend, Adam Bartolsic, who... um, I know listens to the show shout out to Adam um, former referee uh, of rugby league and also a Broncos fan he was also there and he was pretty much behind the goalpost as JT slotted that field goal and much like the Broncos fans at your game Kieran he said you know what if we are to get beat I'm glad we were beaten by the Cowboys so you know the Broncos fans get a hard rap and they get no harder rap than from a guy like me but <laughs> I will say on on that completely anecdotal evidence right there they have a couple of good eggs amongst them that's for sure um, so I hope you'll in, I hope you don't mind indulging me on that long story but I thought you might like that one and for the for the neutral fan, if you haven't witnessed your team uh, winning a premiership, I wasn't there for too long for the Cowboys' lean years, but it is well worth sticking with your team, um, I'm sure. You're probably all very loyal. Blake Morgan, shout out to him. Um, but it, it is so, it's so worth, it's so worth it when your team finally gets there. I can remember the whole week leading up to the ground. I was actually rostered to work, Bo, from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. that night. And nice. as soon as I found that, I, I called my boss straight away. I said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I, 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 I can't. I probably said I'm due to be sick or something silly, but I was just not doing that shift. Um, <laughs> and I, I celebrated so hard. My sister's friends, so it wasn't, I didn't even know the guy. Um, I just decided, my sister said, oh, do you want to come to this house? My, uh, I, I had actually just moved from Dubai, so I didn't know anyone. And anyway, I celebrated so hard, I broke his uh, lights from jumping up and down in the, the room below. Uh, awesome, awesome experience. <laughs> <laughs> is his house made of cardboard or something? Like, what, you, like, what did, what did you do? Right, well, yeah, I, I went nuts. I'm very introverted, but I went crazy. I was that happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I, I too went crazy. Um, and and I, I totally agree with your sentiments. As somebody that was there for those dark, dark years of the Cowboys in those 90s and early 2000s. It was uh, a tremendous feeling of catharsis. And, you know, the Raiders haven't won a con since 1994. The Warriors have never. The Eels haven't won since 86. But when those teams do get that win, and they will, when those so teams sweet. do get that win, it will be incredible. It'll be like Andrew Eddingshausen cuddling Paul Gallen in 2016. You know, like it'll be, it's so, so awesome. And um, yeah, fantastic memories. Thanks for, oh, I'm feeling a bit emotional now. Thanks for that one. Um, let's, take, let's take a little break and then we'll be back to uh, analyze the round eight fixtures. <laughs> <laughs> All 
right, we're up to round eight. Things are starting to really hot up. The uh, the cream is rising to the top. And on Thursday night, we have the Raiders versus the Rabbitohs from GIO Stadium in Canberra. We'd normally ask Miles to take the first hit up, but I'll take this one in his absence. Uh, there's been a couple of little changes uh, with Josh Papali'i rested. Um, after being a bench starter in the previous game, Joe Tarpane is coming back into the side. Uh, Sebastian Chris has moved into the centers to replace Jared Croker, who is out with a shoulder injury. Uh, the Rabbitohs, I think, are basically unchanged. They're going to keep Cody Walker at fullback at this stage with Benji Marshall at 5-8. Uh, they, they have got Tavita Totola named at this point. He'll have to pass some HIA um, protocols. I'm not sure if that has happened or not. The last I checked, it has not. So let's see how that goes. Kieran, it's, it's pretty hard to tip the Raiders at the moment. If you were going to tip them, it would probably be at a Canberra game and it would be against a team a little bit weaker than the Rabbitohs I would have thought who don't have Latrell Mitchell um, so that is something there's something to be said for that um, but I'm probably going to go the Rabbitohs here not with a whole lot of confidence though I am expecting some bounce back from the Raiders at some point where are you going to land? I have to echo exactly what you said there. The Rabbitohs, without Luttrell, they looked a bit uh, like they'd lost kind of their defensive structure last week, but with little confidence, I'm tipping the Rabbitohs as well. For the record, Miles has also tipped the Rabbitohs. Uh, Let's go forward to the next game, which is between the Storm and the Sharks, the 2016 Grand Final Adversaries. This one is from Amy Park in Melbourne. If you could... Uh, speak some truth to what's going to happen here. Uh, so this is a, a bit of a grudge match in recent times with Storm victorious in the last two meetings. Um, I, I do hope Will Chambers asked Cameron Smith if it's all right to play against his old team for the Sharks in <laughs> such a grudge match as he did ask Paul Gallen if he could uh, play for the Sharks altogether. Um, but to, to get on to the actual game, uh, there's no late changes expected for the Storm, and Matt Moylan um, will be given all the time, uh, it says on NRL.com, until late Thursday to prove his fitness. Uh, I, I really like the addition of Will Chambers. I know he's been out of the game for a while, but when he's on, and I, I think he's an effort player, he's not just a... I, I used to think he was more of a confidence player, but when he's bothered, he, he really can be very good. Um, you, you can't expect him to win the game, really, but uh, I, I read midweek that um, the Sharks are looking to lock down Connor Tracy. I think that's a, a really astute thing to be doing. I, I've said multiple times on the pod I rate him, and he could have another big game, but I just look at the stars in the Melbourne side, and I can't see how the Sharks, given the, the state of the club at the moment, they just lost their coach as well. I can't see how they get this done, and, and the Storm would just put 42 points on the Warriors. I've got the Storm. Miles has also tipped the Storm. I'm, I'm looking at the Storm side. I, I agree with you both. I think the Storm should win it. I'm very curious about their lineup, though. They they have not picked Branko Lee. He might be injured again because he's not even in, oh. in the 21. And they've got... Uh, so George Jennings is out um, after last week. Remus Smith is moving to the wing. And Tom Eisenhuth has jumped into the centers for the Storm. Now, I would have thought that Branko Lee, if fit, would be a mm-hmm. better option than Tom Eisenhuth for that spot. Um, particularly when you look at their bench and they've got Del Finuc and they've got Chris Lewis who are both back rowers. You've got Harry Grant and you've got Riley Jacks who is a half. Now, I don't... I, I'm expecting some changes here. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do but 
they're basically relying on Fanukin and Chris Lewis to be part of that front row rotation. I imagine Brandon Smith will join them um, once Harry Grant's on the field as hooker. Riley Jacks is there as cover for halves, I suppose. It's a very odd one. Um, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I'd be very curious to pick Craig Bellamy's brain on how he picked that team. Nelson Asofa Solomono is also out, and that is a big out uh, with Tui Kamakamika moving into lock. Uh, But I still agree with you. I'm going to go with the Storm as well. Let's roll forward to later that evening on Friday night at Suncorp Stadium. It's the Broncos versus the Titans. Uh, Tom Dearden has become the victim of a hostile work environment <laughs> as he and Brody Croft are dropped for Anthony Milford to return, this time partnered by Tyson Gamble. Um, be interesting to see if that gamble pays out for them. Wink, wink. Uh, I don't think it will. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it will. Uh, you wrote in the run sheet that the Titans have beaten the Broncos in the last three encounters. I expect them to make it four. What do you think? To be honest, I actually had the the Broncos a small chance if they had stuck with their halves pairing from last week. Uh, Because they've chopped and changed so much and just the way that they're going, they didn't stand up to the Eels at all. I think, actually, if they had stood up to the Eels and kept the same halves pairing, it would have showed that they were putting it to the bigger teams two weeks in a row uh, and keeping the same sort of formula. But, yeah, because they they folded and they haven't kept that same halves pairing and, and changed around a bit, I can't go with them. I've got the Titans. Yeah, Milford was meant to go back to South Logan for a month and he went back for, what, two weeks? And then like, no, that's good enough. He's back. <laughs> um, he's too expensive to leave yeah, on the bench. Um, so, yeah, Titans, Titans, and Miles has also picked the Titans. Um, so let's roll forward to the next game, which is between the Panthers and the Sea Eagles. That will be played on Saturday afternoon from Carrington Park in Bathurst, just a little bit further west than Penrith are used to, and obviously there to upset those manly people that don't like travelling past, like, west of the uh, the uh, Opera House. So we have, uh, in terms of team changes, the really cool thing for Penrith is the fact that Apicorosau is back uh, with Mitch Kenny having some fantastic form this season, but he's likely to go back and play New South Wales Cup. Um, Dylan Edwards got through his last game, so he'll stay at fullback with Stephen Crichton staying in the centre. It's very interesting to see that Matt Burton has kept his left centre spot. I, I expect that to be the, the, the case for the rest of the season, um, with Paul Momorowski probably quite unlucky when he returns from suspension to miss out there, would be my pick. Uh, the Seagulls... We'll have to wait another couple of weeks to get Curtis Siren and, and Moses Sully back, but they've been in, in great form, so they're not making too many changes. Um, and as you mentioned, Kieran, uh, just a little stat here on NRL.com, the Seagulls have won 76% of all games with Tom Trevojevic, but <laughs> this one is going to drop the average, I think, a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of class in Penrith. They have not been at their best, though. The Broncos really took it to them. And so did the Knights. That 24-6 scoreline is not reflective of the quality of that contest. I thought the Knights were a lot closer than that. Uh, so the Seagulls are in good touch. Tommy Turbo is looking amazing. Uh, he's really unlocked <laughs> something in Cherry Evans and, and Foran. Uh, even Lachlan Croker's done to look like a bit of a dummy half. So... Uh, that's, you know, good signs for the Seagulls, but it, it's just impossible to tip against the Panthers at the moment, don't you think? 
Yeah, I think the Panthers, this is the strongest team they've had since maybe round one or two. Uh, it's far too difficult at the moment to tip against them. I'm going the Panthers as well. And so did Miles. So let's roll forward to the next game, which is from Stadium Australia. It's the Bulldogs and the Eels, please, Kieran. Um, so the Bulldogs have been... Uh, Matt Dory and Chris Smith have been named, but they need to pass their HIAs. And Dallin Wittesniak is a, a 50-50 chance of being a late inclusion. Uh, I believe the yeah Bulldogs signed, just in other news, Brent Naden um, today. Uh, I think that'll be a, a handy addition for next year. But on to on the game this weekend... Um, the Eels have named Hay- Hayes Dunster is set to play a utility role with uh, Will Smith with a, a broken thumb um, and Ryan Matterson who's been out for quite a few weeks now with the HIA return so fingers crossed he comes through unscathed um, the Eels have won 8 of their past 10 games against the Bulldogs although I did find out that um, the Eels won by 6 and then 2 respectively in their last 2 encounters um, I could see another close one the Bulldogs just got their first win last season uh i could also see a, a blowout to the eels um and i i kind of think the eels mitchell moses is playing for another contract at the moment that's probably why he's uh, another part of the reason why he's having such a stellar season so is blake ferguson i i think the eels win this one comfortably yeah if if moses doesn't play well and plays like a wooden spooner the only club that'll want him is the brisbane broncos so um <laughs> i would i would say that you should win this one you look at the amount of class they have particularly in that forward pack i've really liked isaiah papali'i um he's been fantastic to the point that a returning ryan madison has not moved him from the starting side at least at this stage um maybe they are bringing him back a little gently gently just give him a 20 minute half an hour burst um but Papali is doing such a fantastic job that it's it's very difficult to move him and maybe madison will have to swap with sean lane even uh that's how good Papali has been look it's the eels for me and i believe uh miles has tipped the bulldogs no kidding, it's just the <laughs> tip of the eels. <laughs> Sorry to mess with you. Sorry to mess with you. Didn't mean it. Uh, we all tip the eels there. I, I do agree with your sentiment that it could be a blowout, but I, I, the Bulldogs have a bit of ticker about them, so you know, a nice close one again with the eels wouldn't shock me. Uh, the last game on Saturday is from McDonald Jones Stadium, McDonald Jones Stadium rather in New- Newcastle. It's the Knights versus the Roosters. I'll keep this one fairly brief, I think, because there's no real huge team news for either side. The Roosters clicked into gear against the Dragons last week after looking pretty lackluster against the Storm the week prior, while the Knights lacked polish but showed plenty of gusto in their efforts to try and rein in the Panthers unsuccessfully in the end, of course. I just think the Roosters have more class across the board, um, so I will tip them, but I'm not expecting a beat-up here. Callum Ponga really unlocks the Knights a fair bit in attack. So, uh, uh, Roosters, but not by a huge margin for me. Kieran, where do you land on this one? I'm kind of unsure, to be honest. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen... I, I thought Blake Green would have sort of steered the ship for the Knights a little bit more by now. And the Knights have really been uh, underperformers, I believe, this season so far. Um... I do predict a few upsets this weekend, though, so 
Uh, I can see. I think the the experience in the halves is with the Knights and and Kalen Ponga. If he has a, another big game, I really think some of the the forwards for the Knights need to get going. And the Dragons showed early against the Roosters. Um, if you can kind of bash the Roosters, uh, you can get on top. They were on top. They could have been up twelve nil to be honest. If that first try that was ridiculously somehow ruled out wasn't, um, and then I believe they scored shortly after that through Tarek Sims. Um, uh, yeah, I think I'll I'll go with the Knights uh, as an upset, and I fingers I promise, Pinky promise, sorry, um, that I won't change the tip late this time. <laughs> I I don't believe you for a second. Pinky promises mean nothing <laughs> to me. Um, I'm looking at the Roosters, and, and the way to beat them is probably through the middle for the for the Knights. Looking at their team sheet, uh, but I am wary of the fact that if they do win the first 20 minutes, the Roosters have guys like Jared Wairia Hargreaves. Nat Butcher and COCY Takayaho to come onto the <laughs> onto the field after the initial exchanges. That is um, that's a heck of a rotation they've got Big with Isaac Liu, Lindsay Collins kicking yeah. it at the moment, Tupanura and Crichton on edges, Victor Radley. Jesus, that's <laughs> a fantastic team. So yeah, Roosters for me, Roosters for Miles as well. Uh, the Warriors and the Cowboys. Uh, is from Central Coast Stadium at Gosford because the Warriors are still based there at the moment. This is on Sunday afternoon. In terms of changes, there are I suppose there are a few, but not really considering that the Warriors had those cha- those late changes right before their previous match against the Storm. Reese Walsh looking quite impressive. It looks like he's going to slot in at 5-8 with two of us, Ashek, reverting back to fullback, which I think is a good move. It, it, it's the best of both worlds. Reese Walsh looks like a, a natural playmaker and a runner of the football. Two of us, Ashek, the one of the hardest working players in the game. Uh, fullback seems a much better fit for him. They welcome back Torhu Harris, who was ruled out fairly late uh, last week. He, he strengthens their forward back significantly. Josh Curran's looked really, really good in the back row. Um, and Ben Murdoch-Basila, um, I'm glad to see him starting to get some, some uh, starting football. Another thing that I'm glad to see is that Jason Tamalolo looks set to return. He needs to get through a contact session tomorrow, which is Thursday. Um, Jordan McLean has not trained with the side, uh, but he has been named. He has a hamstring injury at the moment. Peter Holler and Tom Gilbert are on standby should either of them fail to get through. Um, the Cowboys are looking for four wins in a row, which would be really nice. First time since the last time they made a grand final. Hmm. I'm going to tip them. Um... The Warriors are a very hit-and-miss kind of team. The Cowboys are that as well. I'm tipping with my heart as much as my head on this one, but I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Yeah, I, I for me, both of these teams are kind of teams that can one week be really, really good and really competitive, and then the next week just completely go into their shell and be shocking. Um, I... I won't. Uh, I was going to say I, I would have liked to have seen one player drop from the Cowboys, but I, I won't say it. And uh, I, I think I'll tip the Cowboys just even if the Warriors are at full strength. I think the combination of Drinkwater and Hampton has actually looked quite good. The the last three wins that we've had in a row, um, I'm tipping the Cowboys. The last game of the round is the Dragons versus the Tigers, which is from Wind Stadium in Wollongong on four o five on Sunday at four o five p.m., which will be the uh, free to air game. Kieran, if you could talk us through who you reckon is going to win out of the Dragons and the Tigers. 
Look, I thought um, the Warriors, or sorry, the Tigers, not the Warriors, we were just talking about them. Um, the Tigers looked like a, a kind of like they were coming together as a team and they were on the same page, especially in that, that Dragons or Rabbitohs loss. Sorry, I'm getting teams mixed up a lot here. Um, but they, they lost narrowly to the to the Rabbitohs and I, I really thought that they had a, showed a lot of fight and showed that they wanted to come together as a team. And it, it shows that uh, it's not the, the dog in the fight, but the fight in the dog. And I, I thought the Tigers were kind of getting that, that mentality. Uh, I think the Dragons are getting that mentality a bit this season. Um, I, they've got the, the better mentality at the moment and the better roster. I've got to tip the Dragons. Yeah, I've also got the Dragons. They just seem to have a bit more going for them at the moment. Miles also tipped the Dragons, making it three from three. And just for posterity, I forgot to mention, but Miles tipped the Warriors against the Cowboys in the previous match. So Miles and I have lined up with all of our tips, except for that one. Um, But yeah, so hopefully we won't have too many blowouts in terms of me falling even further behind you lot in the (laughs) footy tipping competition. Let's talk about bold predictions. We're heading into golden point. Scores are level. Need one big play from you, Kieran. What is your bold prediction for round eight? Uh, I've gone. Uh, we might have done this before, but I believe it's a different, a different kind of bowl prediction as I, I like to do. I've got the eels to score the most points of any team this round, and the sharks to score the least. All right. So you're tipping the eels to basically go through the bulldogs like a vindaloo curry, and <laughs> yeah. the sharks to have almost the same. Sorry, to have basically no ability to penetrate to to penetrate the storm okay all right cool i I can see both those things happening that that seems pretty on brand miles uh has one about the sharks as well he said that will chambers will have a personally individually happy game against the storm by scoring a try but the storm will still prevail so Sharks lose, but Will Chambers scores a try against his old club. Probably has a bit of a point to prove. Uh, he'll also probably be marked by Tom Eisenhuth, so he should have a pace advantage over him, unless he and Dugan, oh, sorry, he and Ramian drop sides, but that's not going to happen. Ramian's a right center, so yeah, there's a, there's a fair chance on that one, Mister Mister Stedman. Good luck with that. Um, I am tipping a five-eighth bonanza in the Warriors versus Cowboys game with the young and promising Reese Walsh and Scott Drinkwater going toe-to-toe, combining for at least four try assists. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picturing a, a high-scoring game where uh, defense will be, what the heck is the tackle? And um, <laughs> Reese Walsh and... Scott Drinkwater will be the ones that reap the benefits and hopefully the Cowboys still win. But yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It, it looks to me like none of our bowl predictions conflict too much as long as uh, the Will Chambers try is not converted and and everyone else scores more <laughs> than four points. Um, so that's so hopefully we all get it right. Let's hope that we all, we all go okay. Kieran, it's, it's been a pleasure. I am very proud to say go Cowboys. Yeah, go Cowboys. <laughs> and Miles probably says, go the Newtown Jets. PSG play tomorrow, maybe he'd say them. <laughs> yeah, could go PSG. There's a full-time siren. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. 
The Above the Horizontal panelists are Miles Stedman and Kieran Gibson, and it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson.